everyone, this is Kina, and this episode is called Complex Trauma, Complex Recovery because I'm going to be talking about the complexities of the ways that trauma impacts us on every level of the being and what it means to have multidisciplinary and integrative approaches to trauma therapy. And I'm going to be talking about some of the different options for uh, working with the different parts of ourselves that are impacted by trauma and also talking about some of the issues with certain therapy approaches and kind of what to look for if you are looking for a therapist to help you with the CPTSD recovery. So let's jump in. So trauma impacts us on every level of the being. Um, I made a TikTok about this a while ago where I said, yeah, trauma impacts us on five different levels, cognitive, social, and relational, emotional, physical and somatic, and creative slash spiritual. And I got a bunch of comments that were like, so every level. (laughs) And I was like, yes, you guys get it. Um, Every level. It is not a a simple disorder. And I'm I'm specifically talking about CPTSD. It's called complex for a reason. Um, When trauma occurs, ongoing for a prolonged period of time, which is what causes CPTSD, and especially when that context happens within the framework of relationships and attachments, it has very complex impacts on the development of a person and all these different mechanisms. So um, let's just kind of go through the list and talk about it. So cognitive and rational. First of all, I'll touch on this in physical too, but trauma physically alters the development of the brain, especially when it's in childhood. So when I say that it affects your thoughts and your cognitions, that is happening on a physical and cognitive level. Um, It's kind of funny trying to separate them all out into categories because they all do like uh, weave into each other so much, but just to kind of for the purpose of simplicity, I'm going to go with that. So um, your, your thinking is impacted by complex trauma in a number of ways. Uh, First of all, your amygdala, which is the part of the brain responsible for uh, observing danger and kicking the body into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn at the sign of perceived danger, is heightened. The activity in the amygdala is heightened in CPTSD. So you have a brain that is searching for danger. This is uh, like a hypervigilance thing, something that causes hypervigilance. Um, When you have a body and brain that is searching for danger, that can come in a lot of forms. Uh, It's very common for people to have intrusive thoughts with CPTSD. Um, That happens in like obsessive compulsive disorders, which are related to trauma, as well as just intrusive thoughts related to hypervigilance and CPTSD. So uh, intrusive thoughts is one way that you might notice it in terms of cognition. Negative core beliefs is another way. So a lot of complex childhood trauma survivors develop negative core beliefs about themselves, about other people, and about the world that they carry with them. And this can create black and white thinking, distorted thinking, and uh, eternity thinking. Eternity thinking is like, this is going to last forever. It'll never get better. Everyone always leaves me like always, never, forever, those sorts of words. Um, it, it basically can impact the internal thoughts that you have about yourself, like internal dialogue, your self critic, um, your, like all, all those different kind of processes are, are impacted by trauma. And, uh, it also quite, quite simply impacts your cognitive function and ability to always be in survival mode because when you are in survival mode, when your nervous system is constantly in hyperarousal, 
uh, your brain is rarely in its learning and connecting mode. I've talked about that before. It's a ventral vagal, like when our nervous system feels calm and safe. And in that zone, your brain is in the learning mode. You can connect, you can learn new things, you can grow, you can process, you can think clearly. And when you're in survival mode, the the brain and body protectively shifts those kind of higher cerebral functions uh, and shifts attention towards more reptilian um, survival functions, right? So... That is why a lot of people who are experiencing trauma or who have untreated CPTSD might even struggle with things like memory, decision-making, learning. Um, your brain is simply not at full capacity when you, when you are in survival mode, right? So, um, yeah, that, that's just like a very brief overview of how cognition and thinking is altered by trauma. Emotions take a big hit. Your emotional world gets rocked by complex trauma. Depending on the person's trauma responses, this can appear in different ways. Um, but essentially, some of the main things that I see and that I've observed are uh, kids who were conditioned and taught to not show emotion um, who were punished for crying or being mad or just weren't really allowed to safely express themselves in their home, who uh, naturally now as adults feel shame and fear and uh, discomfort whenever a bad emotion comes up. Uh, this is like really common in families that uh, like label emotions as bad or good and expect their children to be good and be happy. Um, so yeah, it, uh, that can turn into like adults who really re repress and suppress their emotions and try to distance themselves from any bad emotions, which can kind of lead to like a emotionally dissociative state and an inability to really heal until you can like process those emotions. Um, one thing I see a lot is issues with anger. A lot of kids who grew up either with like an angry, abusive person in the household or uh, when they were put in like a parentified role and not really allowed to express anger. What I see a lot is uh, those kids turn into adults with a ton of shame who turn anger against themselves. So people often will struggle with self-harm, eating disorders, like um, just general like self-hatred, self-anger, and self-disgust that is natural anger turned against the self when they aren't allowed to like express it and own it and use it as a force for self-righteous protection, which is what it is supposed to be, right? Um, I see that a lot. I see... Uh, Kids who only felt they were going to have their emotions taken seriously if they were very big and very overblown, um, being like devalidated a lot. And so uh, often those kids turn into adults who, who don't know how to be validated, express themselves, or ask for help unless it's in like a big blow up and a big explosion. So they might go back and forth between being very numb and repressed and kind of having this like big giant outburst, so really extreme highs and lows. Um, a lot of the times... Uh, people will end up just avoiding their emotions because the emotions carry so much of the pain from the trauma. And so a lot of people fall into like addiction and different things like that to try to avoid those painful emotions. And um, the, the inability to feel and express a full range of human emotions is a huge roadblock in recovery because being able to feel and express a whole range of human emotions is what makes us humans. It's what allows us to like process pain and release it and move forward. And so um, a lot of complex childhood trauma survivors have these like 
painful childhood emotions just kind of trapped around them. Um, of course, there's emotional flashbacks, which I've talked about in other videos. Uh, emotional flashbacks are, it's like they're called emotional, but it's also a physical process. It really is all very interconnected. But um, emotional flashbacks are a CPTSD symptom where an internal or external trigger causes the person to emotionally regress to a state of helplessness and fear and terror and shame from childhood. And it's also called an amygdala hijacking, interestingly, because this is when your like, amygdala takes over. But emotional flashbacks can last months or even years for CPTSD survivors. And... Um, they can just feel stuck in this like horrible childlike vulnerable emotional state for long periods of time. So there's a lot of different ways that can manifest. Um, and one quote that I really love, it says that when a human being is cut off from their natural self-compassion, they lose the ability to heal as well because our ability to hurt and grieve and feel those painful emotions is also directly connected to our ability to love and connect and heal and move forward. So um, this kind of emotional frozenness is a really huge symptom of CPTSD. Learning that emotions can be safe, right? That um, I'll add another thing. A lot of kids grew up in environments where they were never emotionally regulated or soothed. And every time they would cry or they would um, they would have an emotional dysregulation occur. They did not have a parent to consistently like soothe them, regulate them and tell them that their feelings were okay. And so they associate emotions with terror, like with being alone and dysregulated. And remember kids learn to self-regulate through adults helping them regulate. So if you did not get that co-regulation as a kid, you could be missing that. And so, um, people associate emotions with just being like overwhelming and terrifying and, it's a huge part of recovery to learn that emotions can be safe. Um, there are no good or bad emotions and you as a healthy adult can uh, use these different skills to allow yourself to fully feel that emotion and it's not going to swallow you whole and you're not going to get stuck in it forever. That's actually how you move forward. All right, so we covered cognitive, emotional, social, and relational. I've made a lot of content about how our attachment and relational patterns are altered by CPTSD. CPTSD is sometimes even called um, an attachment disorder or attachment trauma in, uh, in and of itself because in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, CPTSD comes from relational trauma. Um, it happens ongoing over a long period of time, so a lot of the time with kids that's happening in their family or for adults it's happening within the context of partnerships or still your family, right? So a lot of times it's tied to relationships and your ability to connect and bond with other people. And um, these are some of the main things that get uh, damaged by CPTSD, especially like attachment and relational trauma. So um, insecure attachment is one of the main symptoms of attachment trauma, um, it seems obvious, but it's actually not. People don't always make that connection. Um, so disorganized attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, um, trust issues, <laughs> fear, anxiety, poor communication, um, inability to trust others, wanting intimacy, but being scared of being hurt, fears of abandonment, uh, strong reactions, shutting down during conflict, like all these different things are again happening on a lot of different levels, but really play out in the realm of relationships and in attachments. Um, and I, I've referenced this in other uh, videos and episodes of mine as well. 
but attachment does not just mean your romantic relationships or even like your friendships or family relationships. Attachment also refers to your connection with yourself and your connection with the world around you. Um, and so this is why you see a huge link between insecure attachment patterns and addiction, eating disorders, stuff like that. I think um, I have a video boop, boop, down there that covers this, but... Um, eating disorders and addiction and other kind of obsessive compulsive patterns have been theorized to be a human being looking for something to bond with and attach to when they do not feel safe to bond and attach to other human beings and looking for something to help regulate them emotionally like food or alcohol when they cannot trust other human beings to help them regulate emotionally they did not get that co-regulation so they are co-regulating with these processes and um this was actually suggested by a social a sociologist in uh, the Netherlands, I believe, who said that instead of addiction, we should call it bonding. Um, and that addiction shows the potential for human bonding. And the more bonded with something a person is, the more they will defend it, even if it's hurting them. And that is what's happening in addiction, um, almost the same as like abusive relationships, right? So I, I find that framework really interesting. Um, and I think attachment informed therapy and theory is so important for CPTSD and I'll, I'll talk more about like what that can look like later but attachments and relationships a hundred percent um even things like social anxiety and anxiety around people is an example of hypervigilance in a social setting from attachment trauma right so next is physical and somatic. Um, I have other content going more in depth about this as well, but to summarize, our bodies are massively impacted by chronic stress, chronic attachment disruptions, and complex trauma. Some of the main changes are uh, even in like babies who aren't held enough, like that early developmental trauma, you'll see higher levels of cortisol in their bodies, which is the stress hormone, higher amygdala activation. Um, the nervous system is majorly disrupted, so when you have emotional flash flashbacks that is your brain and nervous system perceiving danger from a trigger your nervous system loses the ability to actually tell safety from danger which is what causes a whole range of issues like panic attacks and um dissociation and all these different things it's because your body is responding to a threat that actually has passed but you experience that threat for so long emotional or physical that your body doesn't know it's past and that is part of what somatic and, and uh physically focused trauma therapy does is teaching the body how to relax how to feel safe again and how to distinguish um real threat from perceived threat or trigger from the past, right? So yeah, your nervous system, your brain, um, your hormone levels, and then the Adverse Childhood Experiences study has also shown us that childhood trauma is linked to a huge range of physical health problems such as chronic illness, especially chronic pain like fibromyalgia, cancer, heart disease, stroke, like you name it, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and uh, I, I read a really interesting study a while ago that was about the prevalence of autoimmune disorders and people who experience childhood abuse. And it was fascinating. Um, I'll just very briefly summarize it. Basically, what I learned is that there's a very elevated rate of autoimmune disorders in people who experienced significant childhood abuse, especially um, like sexual or physical abuse. 
And for those children, um, what we know now is that their nervous systems are on high alert all the time. They're never turning off. They're never getting to go to that like safe, relaxed, grounded zone, right? Um, especially like if the abuse is happening with a family member, they're always on edge in their own house. And what that does is it floods their body with so much cortisol, so much stress, so many like stress hormones and, and uh, danger signals that eventually the... Um, the immune system uh, and the nervous system can end up like turning on itself and attacking itself, which leads to all these different autoimmune disorders. And I read a bunch of different theories and ideas about how like a body that is always searching for a threat, it makes sense that that could turn into an autoimmune disorder where the body is finding threats that don't exist within it within itself, attacking them and then leading to all these different issues. So I'm not a scientist or a doctor. I won't claim to understand that stuff on a really complex level, but I know that those connections are there and they're very, very interesting. Um, the main thing that uh, I can speak to is just the way that trauma is held in the body and stored in the body. So in our physical reactions, like if you have an emotional flashback, if you're triggered, you know that is a body feeling, right? Shame is a full body feeling. It's not just in your head. It's like you feel it in your body. Um, kids will get stomach aches a lot as like a early sign of trauma or anxiety or hypervigilance. Um, there's all these different ways that our body like sends us signals and cues. A really common thing with CPTSD is people being very dissociated and disconnected from their bodies. So... Like when I was um, like pre-trauma therapy and still had a lot of CPTSD symptoms, I could not stand any body mindfulness or body awareness or like body-centered practices. They would give me panic attacks. Things like meditation, yoga, even deep breathing. I had therapists who would suggest dance or suggest movement and I would literally tell them like, I refuse to do that. You will never make me do that. And the reason was because anytime that I tried to become aware of my body, I would become extremely uncomfortable, extremely anxious, um, and maybe even have a panic attack. And that is because trauma survivors dissociate from their bodies, disconnect from their bodies as a way to survive. Another thing that I'll point out about CPTSD is that um, kids are at the same time being flooded with danger signals and are also being forced to not respond to those danger signals, right? Because um, a natural like fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response is to protect you. And when kids are on high alert, like they, they are not able to do the things that their bodies would maybe have them do to protect themselves, right? Say no, push someone away, run away, leave. Those aren't options for kids in most circumstances. And so a lot of people end up disconnecting from their body, from their nervous system responses, and um, from their like physical cues and their emotional cues. And so uh, it can be really hard to reconnect. And when you try to reconnect, it can bring back a flood of really painful and uncomfortable emotions that someone might not be ready to work with yet. So I'll talk more about different kinds of therapy for it, but those are just some examples of how physical and somatic trauma show up. And then last but not least, we have spiritual slash creative. And this one is a little bit harder to define for me, but I kind of define it as those parts of your inner child that like made you who you are, right? Um, I know spirituality is very important for some people, um, but like I think it can also be seen in the context of creativity and playfulness and just kind of that spark that like made you you. And that is something that also gets lost in trauma, like the ability to play, to create, to connect um, spiritually or artistically or like whatever that may feel like. Um, and 
I am very aware that many people with trauma are excellent artists <laughs> and some of the most miserable people make the best art. So I'm not saying you can't make art unless you heal. Um, what I am saying is that we get, we get disconnected from a certain kind of like creative, joyful, expressive part of who we are um, because that part no longer feels safe. And that is a little bit hard. I, I don't know if creative and spiritual is the right words to use, but that's the closest I can come up with. So I hope you guys know what I mean. This kind of reminds me of the importance of integrating into trauma work, remembering that you are not your trauma. Like trauma impacts us in all these ways, but there is a vital and vibrant and inherent part of who you are that hasn't been, um, that can't be taken away. And that is not about your trauma and what you went through, right? It's like a core essence to who you are. And so recapturing that and finding ways to reconnect with that and um, express yourself and like play and be creative are very important in trauma recovery as well. Okay, so now that I have talked about those, I'm gonna talk about kind of some of the issues that I see with uh, trauma-informed trauma treatment and what I hope to see what I think works for trauma-informed treatment. So I think the main point I'll make about all of this is that complex trauma is complex, so complex trauma recovery has to be complex. It has layers to it. It's complicated. Don't ever trust anyone who says all you have to do to heal your trauma is XYZ or like this is the secret for mental health. It's super simple. You can read about it in this article. <laughs> like it is complicated because we each have our own stories, our own backgrounds, our own needs. And there's this like complicated interweaving. Um, the There are these complicated interwoven symptoms from somatic, emotional, cognitive, social, and creative parts of us that are all traumatized. So the main thing that trauma therapy and trauma recovery has to be is complex and integrative and multidisciplinary and not oversimplified. Um, and that the, the other thing that I think has to happen is a reconnection between those different parts of ourselves. Um, I wrote a blog post about structural dissociation uh, on my Patreon. If you're not on my Patreon, uh, please subscribe. Link is in the bio. I might make a video about it at some point. But uh, in structural dissociation, different parts of the self become fragmented from each other to kind of deal with different parts of life. And it can be uh, very distressing and confusing for people. And one of the common forms of structural dissociation for people with CPTSD is that um, these different functions that I talked about become very alienated and isolated from each other. So the body, the mind, and the emotions um, and relationships and creativity all work together. And a lot of people with CPTSD um, will be We'll, we'll just not have that like supportive relationship where those different parts of the self are communicating with each other, right? A really common example of that is someone who is stuck in their head but disconnected from their emotions and body. This is probably the one that I see the most often. Um, and uh, this is common for people with anxiety, people with OCD, people with intrusive thoughts, um, people who are kind of analytically minded, but what, what happens is that a lot of trauma survivors end up really stuck in their head. And what that can look like in therapy, or I'll, I'll back up, what that can look like uh, when you're not in recovery is just like racing obsessive, anxious thoughts all the time. And what that can turn to in recovery that's a, it's important to keep an eye out for is like trying to heal from your trauma and heal your mental health by just like thinking about it all the time. And I actually was just having a really great conversation with someone um, on Patreon the other day about uh, how she was like 
she was upset about something. She was triggered by something and she didn't really understand why. And she was like, I just don't know like what's going on. And we talked about how in that moment when she was feeling really dysregulated, she was obsessively asking herself like, what is going on? What is going on? And she shared the observation that, oh yeah, I was like thinking about it so obsessively because I thought if I figured it out, maybe I could fix it. And that is a very common thing that I think so many people can relate to is like, I got to figure it out. I got to like, I got to fix it. Or trying to think yourself out of certain emotions or certain realities. Be like, no, no, it's fine. Um, and at the same time as there's kind of this like hyperactivity in the mind and racing thoughts, often I find that those people are very numbed out and disconnected from like their deeper emotions and their bodies. And there's just like not that communication. So I think um, creating like more integration and communication between those different processes is very important. This is why I have previously expressed some issues with CBT therapy because um, when we look at behavior, behavior is really a result of all of those different things, right? It's a result of your physical and somatic responses, your emotional responses, your cognitive patterns, your uh, social and relational patterns, um, your relationship with yourself. And so um, behavior is kind of this, uh, behavior and behavioral symptoms are an amalgamation of these like complex processes. And what cognitive behavioral therapy kind of says is, all right, so you got your thoughts, you got your emotions, and then you got your behavior. And we're gonna change the thoughts and emotions to change the behavior. Um, that's a very oversimplified version, so don't come at me for that. But um, it's very focused on kind of these like surface level uh, behavioral patterns. And it's not always surface level, it can also be focused on like negative core beliefs, but um, a lot of people end up feeling like CBT is just telling them to like change their thoughts and they can't. <laughs> That's really common. And uh, I've, I've talked before about how CBT often doesn't really work super well for trauma survivors until their bodies feel safe and their nervous systems feel safe. Because remember what I said about how your brain isn't at full capacity when you're in survival mode? So once someone's body starts to feel safe and their body starts to relax, a world of therapy options open up. Um, I believe that like physical safety and nervous system regulation is one of the most important foundations for all other kinds of therapy. Once that happens, CBT can be helpful. Challenging core beliefs can be helpful. Finding um, alternative frameworks to look at things can be helpful. But your brain is not really gonna be open to that kind of learning and engagement until there's a felt safety physically um, and I think an ability to like connect with your emotions that are tied into those thoughts. So CBT can be really um, ineffective or even triggering for certain trauma survivors. And I think it is best done, uh, if you're interested in it, with a therapist who does lots of other modalities and can blend them. Like it's best blended with other things, but not by itself if you have trauma. Not everyone needs the same therapeutic approaches at the same pace. Like, for example, I told you guys about how I was super uncomfortable doing body mindfulness exercises. So I didn't start doing anything like that for a really long time. I had to find other ways to um, start to do somatic processing. So I did a lot of psychoeducation, just learning about the nervous system, learning how to recognize my body's different nervous system states. And I'm gonna put this chart up on the screen. This is from the Safe and Sound Protocol by Stephen Porges, who's one of the uh, founding influential voices about polyvagal theory in the nervous system. And um, so you have the autonomic nervous system, which is, like our nervous system being on that ladder where we're always moving up and down a ladder. And, and then there's co-regulation and self-regulation as these two major tools. And then there's physical awareness and, and body awareness. So that was what I worked on first. I worked on um, understanding my body, understanding my nervous system and 
slowly kind of trying different self-regulation and co-regulation techniques to like help my body feel safe. I wasn't doing things like body mindfulness. I still don't meditate or do yoga or anything like that, but I was noticing what was happening with my body and then doing things like um, getting under a fuzzy blanket and like talking to a friend or cuddling with my dog or kind of learning these different co-regulation and self-regulation techniques and um, building a working relationship with your nervous system and with your body uh, is very important as well as building like self-regulation and co-regulation skills. Um, when you have those skills, you start to feel safer. Like everything kind of comes full circle with this stuff because the goal in trauma recovery is not to never get triggered. Um, the goal is to have the skills and have the resources to return back to that like green zone of ventral vagal and safety uh, when you do get dysregulated, not get stuck in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn um, or other trauma responses for prolonged periods of time. So, um, <clears throat> uh, that I think is a very important component of any trauma therapy is learning how to recognize and understand your body's responses and then learning both co-regulation and self-regulation techniques for returning to safety. Um, and when you trust yourself to do that, guess what? processing your emotions gets a lot easier because you can trust that you are not going to be completely overwhelmed, smacked in the face and stuck in those emotions. You can slowly learn to let yourself grieve, be angry, have these different emotions because you know that you're not going to be trapped and you have the resources to, um, to feel good again and to balance out again and kind of let those like strong emotions be processed and expressed. So, um, yeah, that's why I say that, like, I think some, some nervous system literacy and, regulation techniques are foundational for trauma recovery. And then um, while you're working on that, you can also be working on things like learning how to recognize and accept emotions, uh, challenging internal shame and working on self-compassion practices, learning how to recognize emotional flashbacks and respond to them and take care of yourself, inner child healing, reparenting, um, internal family systems therapy is a great example of a therapy that helps work on those social and relational pieces. Emotion-focused therapy and compassion-focused therapy uh, both address that emotional piece. Um, and then there's a lot of different somatic and physical practices, like some people like massage therapy, some people like dance, some people like me were not ready to move their bodies and had to just start with like awareness and regulation and then build from there. So the most important thing is always finding a therapist who you feel comfortable with, who you feel safe with, and who is well-trained in um, in like multiple different resources so they can work with you to find what's best for you. One thing that I have heard way too many times from people is like, yeah, my therapist told me to do deep breathing. And when I told her it made me more anxious, she told me to just keep trying. Or, you know, my therapist told me to do these worksheets. And when I told her I couldn't focus on them, she told me to just, you know, do them. Um, and, the, you know, the, I think this is something that happens when a therapist has maybe like a narrow approach and doesn't know how to create like individualized treatment planning with a client based on their unique needs and their their recovery needs. So that is something really important to watch out for. Like um I think it's great to always ask your therapist what modalities they're trained in and interview interview your therapist. Like if you're looking for a new therapist, ask them questions, ask them uh, what their experience with complex trauma is, uh if they use any somatic or physical uh, modalities like these are all questions you can ask ahead of time to find someone who's going to be the best fit and then that therapist can work with you to um, to understand you and to kind of create a approach that is going to work best for you so yeah I think um, the main thing I hope you guys all take away from this is that 
Uh, there is no one kind of therapy that's best. What's best is a therapist you can trust, who can work with you, and also continue to offer new modalities as your recovery um, grows, right? Because like you're ready for different things at different points. So a really common thing is most therapists would not recommend EMDR brand new into trauma recovery when you don't have a good support system or you're super unstable because it can be very triggering. But uh, EMDR can be an absolutely amazing tool when you're ready for it. So um, find a therapist who can work with you and remember that trauma happens on like all these different levels and that uh, the physical nervous system regulation is what lays the foundation for all those other ones that we talked about. Like if I was gonna, even though I said they're all interconnected, I still think that physical somatic piece is kind of the foundation because the physical reactions that we have are what initiates all these different emotional and thought processes and behaviors and relationship patterns. And um, so yeah, felt safety is something that I focus on. And the better you get understanding and responding to your nervous system's needs, um, the more clearly you'll be able to think, the more empowered you'll feel in your emotions, the healthier your relationships will be. Like it creates uh, possibilities for growth in all areas of your life. And um, yeah, a lot of therapists, I think a lot of modern mental health practitioners really focus heavily on the cognitive piece and the behavioral piece. And I think that's a societal thing. And I'm not saying that thoughts and behaviors don't matter because they certainly do, but the emotional and the relational and the uh, physical somatic piece really gets left out a lot. So these are just some things to keep in mind if you're in therapy, if you're searching for therapy, if you're um, just kind of on your own recovery journey. I hope this has all made sense and thank you guys for listening.